Gracious God, just as Jesus put his trust in you, we look to you for help. Amen. In God we trust. You can find that phrase on license plates, government buildings, police cars, and printed U.S. currency. And if you want to hear my thoughts about what that phrase is doing on our money, we can get a cup of coffee or a pint sometime to discuss it. But that is not the point of this sermon. Instead, I have an even more basic question for us to ponder. What does it mean to trust God? Psalm 25 will be our guide as we wonder about what it means to say, in God we trust. As Episcopalians, we have a special affinity for the Psalms. Reciting and praying with the Psalms is so integral to how we worship that the entire Psalter is printed in the prayer book. In morning and evening prayer, we pray with all 150 Psalms each month. When I plan funerals with families, sometimes they need a day or two to think about which scripture readings they want to use. But they immediately know which psalm, 23 or 121. Plus, the psalms are the most oft-quoted book in the New Testament. So for Jesus and all of the New Testament authors, the psalms clearly were foundational prayers. Some scholars have even referred to the psalms as the Book of Common Prayer, for ancient Israel. Now in cultures prior to ours, people memorized things. But we have just so much information that comes at us these days, it's hard to keep it all in our heads. Almost certainly though, every person of faith in Jesus' time knew the Psalms by heart. And I don't just mean that they had them memorized. Memorization is one thing. I remember back when I was in third grade, it was a Saturday and my parents agreed to go take us to see Disney's newest movie, Aladdin. But I had a multiplication test coming up on Monday and I was not ready for it. So I crammed as hard as I could to memorize seven times nine and all the rest. Sure, I committed those numbers to memory, but they did not get into my heart. Knowing something by heart is different than brute memorization. What things have you more than memorized and you know by heart? Maybe it's a recipe that your grandmother taught you and every time you use it, it reminds you of being in the kitchen with her. Maybe it's lyrics to the song that got you through the challenge of high school. It could be a hymn, a poem, a psalm or a prayer that's worked its way into your heart. We know that Jesus not only memorized the psalms, but he knew them by heart. When Jesus was in agony in the Garden of Gethsemane, praying before he was arrested, he turned to Psalm 102. In the excruciating pain and shame of the cross, he spoke the words of Psalm 22. When he sought to teach us, his followers, about his character, drawing on the imagery of Psalm 23, he tells us that he is our good shepherd. The Psalms were deep within Jesus. He has a psalm-shaped and a psalm-soaked theology.
and it is not too late for you to start a Lenten discipline. If you're looking for one, I would suggest that you commit a psalm to know by heart. I know a priest who, when he was in seminary, was given the job of driving to the airport to pick up whoever the, the lecturer was that week at the seminary. Well, one of these airport runs was a little bit more special than normal because the lecturer that he was picking up was Archbishop Desmond Tutu. Now, Tutu had just gotten off of a very long flight from South Africa, and at least on Tutu's watch, it was time for morning prayer. So he invited the seminarian to join in some of the prayers as he was driving him back to the seminary. And when it came time to recite the psalm for the day, the seminarian was shocked that Tutu just started reciting the psalm without a prayer book in his hands. Now, I'm not saying that we need to commit all 150 psalms to memory, but having a few to carry around with us, well, it's like having a treasure to take with you that you can never lose and no one can ever take away from you. And I bring this all up because I am pretty confident that Jesus prayed Psalm 25 while he was in the desert being tempted by Satan. I mean, he was in the desert for 40 days. I wouldn't be surprised if he prayed this psalm a couple of dozen times in that month or so. And at least for me, Psalm 25 takes on a more profound significance when I think that through the gift of our tradition, we get to pray the very same prayers that Jesus prayed. When Jesus was hungry, tempted, alone, maybe even frightened, he had Psalm 25 to buttress and comfort him. Whatever it is that you're dealing with, maybe it's an issue at work, or with family, with your health, or just the general state of the world these days, Psalm 25 is there for you as well. It is a psalm that helps us in the midst of the challenges of our struggles to put our trust in God. And that's clear in the opening line, To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. My God, I put my trust in you. The psalm asks for God's protection from humiliation and from enemies. As Jesus was in the wilderness facing exhaustion, famine, and trials, he was looking for God's salvation from the treacherous schemes of the tempter. A quick word on this character, referred to as Satan. What exactly is meant by the devil or Satan? Well, that would be the topic of a different lecture or sermon. What will help for right now, though, is a reminder that because the evil that we deal with is felt personally, Scripture depicts this evil personably. Temptation, sin, and evil, these are not things that we deal with in the abstract, but rather they cause very real pain, guilt, and shame. What bothers us about the news from Gaza or Ukraine is not the general idea of warfare or conflict. No, what bothers us is the very real human suffering that is happening all over the world. Evil is experienced personally. And so scripture speaks of evil as something that is personified in Satan. When we are in the wilderness, Sometimes our trust in God begins to waver. 
We start to doubt that prayers are anything more than wishful thinking. We worry that there will not be a light at the end of the tunnel. And if our trust in God starts to wane, we might start to put our trust in other places, in other coping mechanisms that are not up to the task of being mighty to save. So Psalm 25 helps us by giving us words to use when our own words are failing us. My God, I put my trust in you. That word trust, it means something like allegiance, fidelity, confidence, or devotion. In other words, trust is not an abstract emotion or idea. Trust is a commitment, an orientation, a priority. Trust is not something we have. Trust is something that we do. And Psalm 25 shows us what trust in action looks like in our lives. Verse 3 says, Show me your ways, O Lord, and teach me your paths. The salvation that Psalm 25 envisions is not the elimination of our enemies or the solving of all of our problems. No, the psalm asks us to be led and taught in the ways of truth. Too often we think of salvation coming from God in terms of something like a disaster relief organization that just swoops in and cleans up the whole mess for us. And to be sure, every once in a while, that's exactly what God does. But more often than not, God is more like the shepherd of Psalm 23 who walks alongside of us in the valley of the shadow of death. God walks with us and shows us the path through the chaos. The question for us is whether or not we are open to being guided. Though we like to know what the master plan is, God is much more like the GPS guidance that so many of us use. And what makes our mapping software helpful is that it knows exactly where we are and exactly what we need to do next. But it doesn't get too far ahead of us. If we had to listen to that full set of directions, imagine every time you, you got an announcement that it started at the beginning and went all the way to the end, or you had to pull out the map and find where you are at this step. If you had to do that every time, we would make so many mistakes. We would get lost, and if you were trying to do all that while you were driving, you'd probably run off the road a lot. What makes GPS work is not that it gives us the full set of directions, but rather that it guides us. If you were to ask me, how do I get to St. Louis, I would tell you I have no idea. I figure it's a little bit north and a lot west. But I don't need to be given a set of directions to get there. I just need to be guided whenever I need to make a turn. And when the guidance comes, I have to trust it and follow it. That's what Psalm 25 asks for. Lead me in your truth and teach me. Are we willing to be guided? Can we be humble and realize that we don't see the whole map? And even if we could see the whole thing, we wouldn't be able to make sense of it all. Instead, can we pay attention to the call of God in the midst of our busy lives? Sometimes it's just a word. Maybe it's someone's name that you hear, and that is someone that God would have you to check on. Maybe it's a word like peace, or mercy. And maybe that's what God intends for you to receive, but maybe that's what God intends for you to go share with someone else. If we are going to trust God, 
we have to allow ourselves to be guided, to follow the path that God gives us, to realize that we are not the captains of our lives. Instead, we are sheep in the flock of our good, gracious, and loving Savior. And yes, God will let us wander astray. God does not put leashes on the sheep. Where we are prone to wander, we trust that our good shepherd will always go after that one lost sheep and save it, even when we are the lost sheep. And that's what the cross reminds us of, that our trust in God is secured by the love that went as far as the cross and the tomb to find us. That's the foundation of our trust, and it's found in verse 5. God is compassionate and loving. I know I say this a lot, but it needs to be repeated over and over and again because the world is such a vicious and vindictive place. God is love. And God loves you not because of anything you have accomplished, not because you have followed the rules, not because you have gotten anything right. God loves you because God has chosen to love you from everlasting. In other words, God chose to love you before you were born. And so the love is unconditional. God's love for each of us is independent of our mistakes or our successes. There is nothing that any of us have to do to earn God's love, and there is nothing that any of us can do to lose God's love. That's what grace means. And that is what allows us to trust God, that God is always with us and always for us. And where this grace connects with our lives is that as verse 6 proclaims, God remembers not our sins and transgressions, but God remembers us according to divine love for goodness' sake. Yes, we all make mistakes. None of us are perfect. But that's okay, because God's love never depended on that anyway. We sabotage our relationships with selfishness and fear. We undermine our mental and physical health with poor decisions. We do the things that we know we should not be doing, and we do not do the things that we know we probably should be doing. We put ourselves first. We make excuses for ourselves. We can be lukewarm when it comes to generosity, justice, and faith. We don't need to deny it. We can confess our shortcomings in faith and trust that God will not remember these things about us. We don't have to keep up the lie of perfection, but we can let go of our sins, trusting that God does the same. We are not our mistakes. We are not defined by our flaws. God remembers us according to goodness and love. So we can stop trying to make ourselves lovable and just rest in the enoughness that God has given us a gift. You are loved and cherished by God, not because you are useful or good, but because you are you. That is the message of the gospel and of Psalm 25, that we are freed by the power of God's love to stop keeping score, to stop evaluating, to stop performing, 
and instead we can enjoy the beauty of this world, the freedom of forgiveness, the gift of life, the wonders of love, the companionship of one another. Psalm 25 is what's known as an acrostic, meaning that each verse starts with the next letter in the Hebrew alphabet. It's something like a nursery rhyme that we all learned when we were younger. It makes the psalm easier to remember. And this is a message worth carrying with us throughout Lent and life. When we pray with Jesus in the words of Psalm 25, that in God we trust, we are making a declaration that we trust that God's mercy is bigger than our sins, that God's peace is more lasting than our deaths, that God's grace is truer than anything in all creation, and that God's love is making all things well. And that is something worth knowing by heart. 